This morning we kind of talked about a heavy subject, and as we do on Sunday night for a Sunday night study, we kind of take a part of that and carry it forward. Tonight's study is part two, if you will, from Romans chapter one. I want you to maybe consider, have you ever thought to yourself, I don't think the world can get any worse? Well, I have news for you. It can, it has, and it may still yet. Uh, These are the results of our decisions as human beings, our collective decisions, be it a city, a state, a country, or a world, uh, when we've repeatedly, again and again, reject God, reject His will, reject His ways, reject His word, and... um, The result of that is what we're going to see tonight. Uh, We're going to get into some depressing stuff, but hang with me and we'll talk about uh, what I call the key to a great life and reversing that course. If you're following along with me or online, I hope you'll turn to Romans chapter 1 is where we are for tonight's study. Romans chapter 1, we, as you recall last week, were, if you were here Uh, Romans chapter 1 is where we were, and we left about verse 23, and we're continuing tonight in starting in verse 24, so I'm going to read verses 24 uh, through the end of Romans chapter 1. In the big scope of things, of course, Paul is making the case for the gospel, but as we said last week, bad news first, bad news first for humanity and for all those apart from the Lord. So if you're in Romans chapter 1, hope that you'll follow along, starting verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents... Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only continue to do them, but give approval to those who practice them. All right, so we start with the word therefore. As we've talked about before, and you've heard many times, many classes, many sermons, the word therefore says everything that happened before, therefore, because of all that, Here's the result. So if you want the the first part of this, go to last week's sermon on the podcast and 
Tonight, we're dealing with the result of that. You know, we, didn't, we didn't get here overnight, is kind of what Paul's saying. This is a process, and here's what happens when you ignore God and you reject God long enough. He says, God gave them up. Now, in the ESV, this phrase is repeated, uh, by my count, three times in this passage by Paul. God gives up man to the sin that our hearts desire, that our evil hearts want, uh, allowing us to experience the fullness, the the full self-destructiveness of your sin. And this is to make a distinction between God giving up on them and God giving them up. Those are two different things. Okay, we always hold out hope for the gospel and hope for repentance, and that's never lost on a person or or on. A, I mean, ask ask the Ninevites that Jonah was called to repent to. Jonah had given up on them. God had gave them up, but He hadn't given up on them. And so, this phrase "God gave them up" is essentially God saying, "Okay, if that's what you want." If we think about this in, a, in an extreme sense, in one sense, you know, the great example of Jesus is not my will, Father, but yours. Uh, and the other end of that spectrum is not Jesus' example, but our selfish, sin-centered self is God saying to us, okay, not what I will, but what you will. I'm giving you up to that. To, to prove that God's not out to kill our fun. God's not out to you know, ruin our, our joy. In fact, he, he wants to sustain it. He, he wants us to have good lives. He wants us to have fulfilling lives. And he knows that the end result of sin is never what, what we're enticed with thinking it will be. We see the beginning of sin. God sees the end result of sin. He says, okay, if that's what you want. I was trying to think of this from a human example. It's not a very good one, but it's the one you get for tonight. Um, it was actually a Sunday night, it was many years ago. Uh, Tyler was riding home with me. I can't remember if he was in the youth group. We were going home. And uh, Tyler was walking one way and I was walking the other. And I finally said, son, what are you doing? He said, the car's that way, Dad. Me, being the one who last drove the car, said, no. No, it's over here in this in this lot. He said, "No, Dad, it really is. It's over here." Back and forth, and I don't know what made him do it. <laughs> he said, "Dad, I'll bet you twenty dollars the car's over there." I thought about it a second. <laughs> I said, are, "Are you are you sure, son? Are you sure that that you want to make that wager?" And after two or three times, uh, he said, Dad, please bet me $20 that the car's over there. And so, I gave him up. And I happily took his $20. A lesson he has never forgotten. That's a silly human example. But on an eternal scale, God says, hey... The way to life is over here. And we're over here saying, ah, you know, I, God, I think it's, it seems better over here. You know, this is the old Abram a lot. Which way are you going to go? 
And, and at some point, God, you know, reasons with us and tells us and says, my will is for you to go this way because I know the way. But God is a believer in free will. Despite, despite what you might hear in Reformed theology, uh, God gave us a free will. God's still sovereign, and he gave us free will. And how those two things work together is sometimes a mystery to me. But I think there are many times, and certainly we can see it in Scripture from Genesis forward, that God expresses clearly his will, says what he wants us to do, shows us the way, says it's going to be a blessing to you, and we argue and and reason and 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 just do everything but outright defy God. And sometimes God just gives us up. And in the same way, we always lose the wager. That's not what God wants. I didn't need to defraud Tyler of his $20. But I wanted him to learn the lesson that he could trust his dad and that he should. God doesn't want you to fall and stumble and sin, but he'll give you up as the father let the prodigal go he knew there was nothing but heart, heartbreak and hardship for his son. That's not what he wanted for his son. But his son had to choose that on his own. To yield to the father. To dwell in the father's house. So when God gives them up, Paul spells out by my count seven things that God gives them up Two, and maybe sometimes they happen all at once, maybe sometimes they happen in stages, but in other words, it's not necessarily linear that we're talking about, but these are the seven things in no particular order. They are in a particular order in the scripture, but they're not in a particular order in terms of how we reap them as we sow to sin. The first, he says, he gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Uh, my heart is sick, meaning a lot of things. One, I have weaknesses and proclivities toward certain sins. They're not the same for all of us, but my heart is susceptible to those things. Secondly, my heart is easily manipulated. Your hearts can be easily swayed with emotionalism, with performance, with exaggeration, with story. There's lots of ways to uh, manipulate the heart. So we have to be very careful when you know, you know the giving up giving them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity is essentially giving them up to following their heart. And that's really dangerous. 
Anytime you're tempted to follow your heart, you should see red flags all over the place. Don't follow your heart. It'll lead you astray every time. Our hearts are corrupt. Our hearts are deceitful. Our hearts, as, as Jeremiah says, are desperately sick. And so we have to, we have to, this is why knowing the word, yielding to the word, it's more than just reading, it's, it's doing, but, but doing that and yielding to God in prayer, not necessarily using prayer to ask God for things, but, but prayer and Bible study and worship and being with fellow Christians, those things are important because they're a manner of helping correct our heart in the right way. So, secondly, the first is lust of the hearts of impurity. Second is lust to dishonor their bodies. Now, he's speaking specifically about sexual sin here, not sex. God designed sex. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a blessing. It's a good thing. Uh, That was God's design. But sexual immorality, as with all things of God's design, the enemy will take what God has made and twist it and pervert it. And make it something that it was so far removed from what God intended. <clears throat> and so, the, the second thing that he gives them up to is that fleshly desire. To dishonor your body by being sexual, uh, sexually immoral. Paul says this, addressing this problem at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you want to follow along, it's in verse 12 through 20 is the whole section. I'm just going to read one verse. But verse 18 from that chapter on sexual immorality, he says this. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other, per- every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. There's a lot here. Um... Everything, most everything sexual in our world is, is a far deviation from what God intended. You know, if sex is the straight line, sexual immorality is everything that deviates from that path. We're told, flee from that. Don't toy around with it. Don't mess with it. Don't think about it. Don't joke about it. Flee from sexual immorality. Because once you get into sexual immorality, and the word here is pornea. We're going to talk about this more on Sunday morning. But um, uh, it's a broad term. Okay, it, it, it refers to all manner of sexual immorality. We address this on Know Your Bible quite a bit. We get questions about uh, polygamy, uh, homosexuality, adultery. Um, pornography. Um, there's there's uh, uh, all sorts of, uh, under this umbrella term of pornea, that will hurt us, that will damage us. There's a way in which our bodies have been designed physically, but what happens in what's designed to be in the marriage covenant is that two people become one flesh. So it's not just physical, it's emotional and spiritual. And so when you take that, just say a person 
committing fornication, you know, having sex with per- a person not, that you're not married to, um, you are bonding physically, emotionally, and spiritually with multiple partners. And there's a whole, um, it's been a full series just on this topic alone, but Paul sums it up by saying <laughs> this key difference in that all other sins kind of happen out here. They have ramifications for our lives and, and maybe for us. But sexual immorality is one of those rare sins that affects you directly, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and has the potential, by the way, to affect your spouse, your children, your children's children. It, it sins against your own body. It violates what God intended to be beautiful and honorable. This is what we do when we commit sexual immorality. And not picking on anyone. They're all immoral, but all of them have physical, emotional, and spiritual consequences. The argument right now in the world is that there are certain sexual sins and deviancies, and the argument goes that if you don't accept me, it's because you're not accepting and celebrating my, who I am, my identity is the way they put it. Because you're not accepting me and celebrating me, it's leading to this mass number of, of trans kids being depressed and, and committing suicide and things like that. If we, if we just go back to what the scripture says, the scripture says, no, no, in fact, these behaviors are what's causing your depression and your, your uh, essentially allowing your mind to go into a very dark place to the point where you want to take your own life. And the world says, celebrate it, celebrate it, clap, clap, clap. Do you think that's not an, a strategy of the enemy? As we celebrate people jumping off a cliff? Because they're violating themselves physically, emotionally, and spiritually. If you have a friend who believes that you know, they want to live this lifestyle, or that they identify in a different way, pray for them. Speak love and encouragement. Don't. I'm not saying accept what they're doing, but I'm saying... Do whatever you can to keep them from going down this path because giving yourself over to dishonoring your body is not going to lead to a good place. Never does. Absolutely never. Flee from it. When God gives you up to the lust to do that, one, you'll never be fulfilled. You think you will find fulfillment in fulfilling the flesh But filling yourself with empty things only leaves you empty. And so, be be warned. If God gives you up to that, it's not going to lead. Number three, exchanging the truth about God for a lie. Of course, we recognize immediately that... um, 
when we're speaking a lie, we're speaking the fluent language of the devil. Jesus said the devil was a murderer from the beginning. We talked about that this morning. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. He goes on to say this. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is what's so frustrating about how the enemy works. He only speaks in lies. Even worse, deceit, where he doesn't tell you the whole truth. That's his language. Lies and deceit, deception, disorient everything. We don't know what to believe. If you're a parent... I don't know what's going on in the youth group. We have an, we have an, an issue here because we've got, we got half of you way back there and half of you up here. I don't know what's happening. But, but <laughs> um, I'm not sure, teenagers, the back, teenagers at the front, um, I'm not sure how many things your parents know the whole truth about. But I can tell you this, whatever, whatever you do, don't, don't lie to your parents. And I'm speaking as a parent here, not a preacher, okay? Don't, don't lie to your parents, and here's why. Because as soon as you lie, you've disoriented them. They find out you lie, and now... Though they want to trust you, from that point forward, every conversation has a seed of doubt. And it's very simply this. Are they telling me the truth this time? And you see how that can irreparably damage a relationship. I know your parents don't want you to sin, but above all sins, don't lie. Because when you do, you speak language of one who wants to kill you and steal from you and destroy you. Don't speak that language, but when God gives you up, one of the things he gives people up to is to exchange truth about God for a lie. And this is the world we live in, with the most frustrating culture of all time. Pick any topic. Pick a side. And all you have to do is Google it to find points that prove you're right. Doesn't matter which side of the argument you're on. Okay? I'll pick one that's a sensitive subject, but I think a Sunday night crowd can handle it. You put pineapple on your pizza or not. Whether you're a pineapple or a no pineapple, you can find arguments for your point either way on Google. And that's the system that we live in. I joke with pineapple on pizza, but it, there's every, every single issue under the sun is just a few clicks away from here's why I'm right and you're wrong. You know what's frustrating about that world? How do we determine true? How do we know what's right? On spiritual issues, it's very easy. Doesn't matter what Google says. Yield to this. Number four. We worship and serve the creature. Um, 
God gives you up to a certain level, they worship and serve the creature instead of the creator. And we see that in all sorts of ways in our world today. It's cloaked under the uh, cause of environmentalism. I have no problem with taking care of the planet. I think we should be good stewards of the world that God's given us. I don't think we should intentionally be destructive. But that's not what modern environmentalism is about. It's about pushing humans backwards. Instead of filling the earth and subduing it, we're called to you know, let nature take over. Uh, we talk about animal rights. We talk about Mother Earth. And that's going backwards. <laughs> and see how, you know, again, we're twisted here. Again, nothing wrong. I don't want you going home after tonight and throwing trash out the window. I think uh, you should take care of the world that God gives you and leave you better, leave it better than you found it. Um, but that's different than believing that this old blue marble is somehow your mother, that you have any responsibility to revere her or even call her a her, it a her. Um, I thought about showing this clip, but I just didn't. I, it's a it's a it's a phone commercial, smartphone commercial, and it's this board meeting of all of the. It's Apple, okay, and it's all the board people at Apple, and they're very nervous for the, you know, the, what's somebody big's coming in, and oh, it's Mother Earth, Mother Earth, and Mother Earth is just fit to be tied. We need to be zero carbon, and, and but it just—it's—it's it's a picture of our culture. As you look around, and everybody's just very nervous. And there's Tim Cook, and he's very deferential, and oh, Mother Earth, and it's just—it's almost pure paganism. That's kind of where we are. The the created things get more worship than the Creator who made those things. Um. So, that gets into all sorts of things, but what we really need to understand from a spiritual perspective is this. The earth is a temporary place. Shouldn't, we shouldn't seek to be destructive of it, but we need to recognize the earth for what it is. Temporary in nature. Jesus said, the heaven and the earth will pass away, but not my words. Um, I was thinking of this illustration. Uh, we spent about the last four months in some form or fashion in a hotel or in a in a bed that wasn't home, or wasn't our own. And um, I had thinking about that because, you know, it doesn't matter how nice a hotel is. The place where we stayed was just fine. It wasn't anything fancy, but it wasn't home. I, I think maybe that's kind of how we should think about the earth. I'd say it's fine, beautiful, some good parts to it, but it's not permanent. And God didn't design you to be here forever, and God didn't design it to be here forever. Peter said, um, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So, we don't worship the created things. We worship the one who made the creator, who made the created things. But when God gives you up, that's one way he gives you up. That happened in their time and it happens in our time. Number five. Uh, <clears throat> he gives you up to dishonorable passions. This is a, another way of saying an unnatural sexual relationship. Uh, homosexual, same-sex activities. These are thwarting the purpose for which God intended the sexual relationship to be between male and female. Paul wrote to a culture which was arguably worse than ours is today. Um, You know, for most of the Roman culture, homosexuality was an accepted part of life and lifestyle for both men and women. Paul addresses that here. For almost 200 years, according to history, the men who ruled the Roman Empire openly practiced homosexuality with young boys. And our current culture, people will say, well, Paul's addressing that. Paul's addressing, he's not addressing monogamous, sincere homosexual relationships. They're two different things. Well, they are different things, but Paul's addressing both. (laughs) He's saying, God gives you up, God gives you up. And uh, it can look, like lots of different things, and none of them good. What's interesting is when Paul, and he really spells it out here, uh, this is a section of Scripture that gives people who profess faith and yet want to be like the world in our behavior and our actions, Romans 1 is a problem for them. Paul doesn't use the, wor- the, the normal words in the original Greek for men and women here. He uses the words male and female. So he's describing sexuality outside of human terms when he's talking about same-sex relationships. What he's ba- basically saying is this, is, this, is not, this kind of sexual relationship is beyond the dignity which with God intended it for it to be between human beings, male and female. As we said, sexual relationship bonds you physically, emotionally, spiritually. Okay, now you've got male bonding with male, female bonding with female. Uh, It denies nature. You're not going to have a child through that union. It's just biologically impossible. Uh, He says they receive in themselves the due penalty for their error. Okay? This is, goes back to what Paul was saying about sinning against your own body. Uh, sin is always destructive. And when it comes to sexual sin, it is self-destructive. It carries within itself its own penalty. Physical, emotional, and spiritual. Um... I could tell you more stories than you'd be comfortable with 
of people that I know that live a homosexual lifestyle and the self-destructive nature of things that they have endured physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And I don't say that from a place of moral superiority. I say that from a place of, of sympathy, of heartbreak, because that is not what God desires for them. You watch TV. I mean, every other commercial is, you know, a test of how woke can we be. And, you know, how many men do I have to watch kiss each other and women kiss each other? And, and <laughs> these are ads for medicine for sexually transmitted diseases. Reconnecting the two things here? HIV, monkeypox, all sorts of STDs. These are not things that are a problem for people who fear the Lord and stick with His plan. There are many people who say, you know what, that's, that's not for me. I had a talk many years ago with a teenage boy in the youth group. He decided he was going to live that lifestyle. Harmless enough kid, but I knew he was headed down a path of destruction. And in a conversation one day in my office, I begged him, please, please don't go down this path. I said, just humor me. Please just, and I turned to Romans 1. I said, please just read it. I'm not going to say anymore. Just read it. And he obliged. He read it. I looked him in the eye. I made him look me in the eye. And I said, do you believe that? And he just put his head down. And he shook his head. Broke my heart. It still does. I pray for him and his repentance. Because I know that he can reject God and God can give him up to, okay, if that's the way you want to go. But I know it won't lead anywhere good. The last one is to give them up to a debased mind. The, the King James says the reprobate mind. Or the originally, uh, the term is reprobate is not something we use a lot, but it means that which has not stood the test. Uh, a, a coin, you know, a slug that that. It's not the real thing. It's counterfeit. And that's the word here. Sin deceives your heart. And as bad or maybe worse than that, it affects your thinking. Because your thinking 
permeates everything. It permits all. It permeates all that you do. <clears throat> the scriptures warn us to guard our hearts, to guard our minds. And when God gives you over to a debased mind, it's 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 a term. It's like you probably heard the phrase, you know, don't be so open minded that your brains fall out. It, it's kind of that. You you are so tolerant and so open minded that you accept anything, and that leads to all sorts of problems. You're not thinking correct. <clears throat> our rebellion against God comes from two places, our heart and our mind. It's displayed in our thinking and our actions. And so when God gives us up to a debased mind, we are genuinely going kind of spiritually insane to rebel against God and what he wants. Which is why, interestingly enough, in Romans 12, Paul calls them to do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is a good thing, that if you've been given up to a debased mind, if you've been given over to the impurity of your heart, that can change. That's what Paul's making the case for. This is not a permanent condition. It doesn't have to be. This is what the church should be about. Not resting on Romans chapter 1 as if it's a permanent condition. Paul says to the the church at Corinth, he says, uh, Do not be deceived. The wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, the drunkards, the revilers, the swindlers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God, which is fairly depressing. And then he says this, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The way to... Bring back your mind and your heart is only through Jesus Christ. The seventh and last is all manner of unrighteousness. And all of it comes from a debased, godless mind and a sin-sick heart. He, said, he, he lists it out, but I don't think the, the list is meant to be exhaustive. Evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strive, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slander, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And this is a pretty exhaustive list. If you can go through this list and not be hit at least once, uh, you're probably not being honest or you're really not reading it. Which sounds pretty bad. And it is. But there's a reason that God gives those people up because that's what they wanted. But that's not what he wanted, or is it? He wants us to be saved. And one last point, he says the approval and endorsement of unrighteousness. Romans chapter 1 is back to where we are. He says, he says not only... sorry. Uh, verse 32, they not only know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, but also not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Whew. Let me tell you, um, 
I'm not surprised by the world anymore. And it's pretty easy to see that on my Facebook feed and other social media platforms. What breaks my heart again and again is the number of Christians, people that I know, who like those things, who support those things. They know that God's righteous decree. They know Romans 1, but they're right there giving approval to those who practice it. Paul says that's just as bad. Christians not only stand for what's right, we support what's true and good and beautiful. When God gives you up, it seems like a pretty hopeless place to be. The title of my sermon is The Key to a Great Life. (laughs) How do we escape all that? Well, the answer is Jesus Christ. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come. I have come. That they might have life and have it abundantly. You see that whole list of all the things that God gave you up to? All of us fell short at one point or another. You can't fix that on your own. I can't give you a list of things that will automatically regenerate your mind and your heart and put you in the right state of thinking. I can't remove your desire to sin or your desire to go after the flesh. I can't do that at all. There's nothing you can do about it either, really, without Jesus. He's the only one who can conquer the mind and change the heart. And, and following him requires putting to death all those things that were going to put you to death anyway. And so the key to the great life is Jesus. Crucifying yourself and your desires of the flesh to him. Leaving behind the old man and beginning to be made anew as he wants you to be. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for your word. It does hit us between the eyes sometimes. Cuts us to the heart, as it should. Pierces through our self-deception and our selfishness. Lord, I pray that the word tonight has worked in the areas of our hearts and minds that need to be worked on. Father, if it were up to us, we'd be in a very hopeless state. Able to sin, but not able to save ourselves from our sin. Not by our righteous works could we even manage to be saved, because they're like filthy rags compared to your glory and goodness. But we praise you, Father, and we will praise you forever for knowing all of that ahead of time and having a plan. Involved your son and his life and his death for us to atone perfectly forever. To justify and sanctify us through his blood. Father, I pray for those who do not yet know the gospel. That they might come to a knowing relationship with your son Jesus. And more importantly, that they might not just hear his words, but yield to them and obey them. That they might... Be born again into a new kingdom that will not disappear, nor will it fade. 
Father, I pray for all of us in the kingdom that we never lose sight or a heart for the many, many who are still outside of the kingdom. Lord, you have a plan where we will meet them and talk to them and be in relationship and text these people, interact with them on social media this week. And we pray that we might be a people who speak the gospel boldly and fearlessly and courageously and above all things, lovingly. And we pray that the the gospel might ever be effective as it always has been to save both the Jew and the Greek. Thank you, Father, for our time together in your word. It's been a blessing, and we want to be a blessing to you by living out its instructions and commands, that we might have a great life here on earth and a far better life in eternity. We love you, Father, and we know that you love us because of your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.